Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We are talking AI, artificial intelligence, and the impact on jobs on both the creation and destruction fronts. AI will touch almost every aspect of our human life, and it already is a big factor and will continue to do so in a big way. We'll also get AI in your hands right now. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Games. Okay, let's bring on Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show in Cambridge. Now, Paul, before we get the convo started here, I'm surprised when I talk to people about AI. A lot of people have heard about artificial intelligence, but I'm still shocked at the number of people who have yet to try it. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to open up ChatGPT right now. There's a ton of chatbots out there, and a lot of them are really good, but ChatGPT is the one most people have heard of. Okay, if you're new to this, then let's get your hands dirty right now. First, go to your phone or desktop and then go to the address bar where you would type in your URL and type in chat.openai.com. And again, that's chat.openai.com. So we're going to do that right now. And the site will pop up. You're going to verify you're a human. And it will say, welcome to ChatGPT. And there's two options, log in or sign up. Now, if it's your first time, I encourage you to sign up. It's really easy. You just need an email and then to verify it. And once you have a login, you're good to go. Now, Paul and I already have a login, so we're going to sign in right now. So once ChatGPT opens, you'll see that there are a variety of prompts, and you'll want to go through those. And then you'll see the chat window at the bottom of the page. That's where we're going to start interacting with the chat bot. So, Paul, we've just put a chat bot in people's hands. And I have chat GPT open right now. I know you do, too. So give the Gaines listener the 101 here on the tech behind chat bots and AI and what it is and how it works. Sure. So basically, and I'm going to use a term, but then I'll simplify the term in a second, but it's what everybody calls it. And they basically call it a neural network. And what they're trying to do is equate chat GPT and AI in general, but especially chat GPT to the brain. And the brain 
the external stimuli that the brain gets, like you know, smells and tastes and sights and everything else, all go in. And if if you if you're a relatively healthy brain, and I can't claim I have a relatively healthy brain, but healthy enough, <laughs> and it, the healthy brain gets all these stimuli, and it learns from them. It stores stuff in different parts of the brain and remembers, uh, makes, makes analysis of the thing, like that, that stove is hot. I'm not going to touch it anymore. Memories are formed, all kinds of stuff. But the brain is a good model, meaning it's a network of connected neurons. Well, ChatGPT is exactly the same thing, except for in this case, the neurons are connected to servers and huge knowledge bases all over the place. And what's different is, unlike the, say, Google, where you're browsing, that is also connected to lots of servers, but you browse to stuff that then there is no analysis about the stuff it finds. So if I'm Googling myself, I could go find a bunch of links that are related to me or whatever mentions me. In some cases, they link to people whose names are the same. But the point is that all that information is out there, but there's no analysis with Google. It just looks for it. It's a browser, literally and figuratively. With ChatGPT, it goes a huge, giant step beyond that. Namely, it goes out and finds that stuff and then stores information about that stuff and analyzes. Remember those neurons analyzing your surroundings all day long? Well, ChatGPT, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every second of the day in the year, goes out and not only finds the stuff but then analyzes it. It essentially is a giant computer brain that learns as it searches. And then the best of all, it tells you what it learns in prose form, meaning if I say, hey, you know, t- tell me a little bit about Shakespeare's The Tempest, that play, you know, and instead of here's three links to Shakespeare's The Tempest or analysis by some scholar somewhere, instead, it'll send you paragraphs that, that explain Shakespeare's The Tempest. And then even better. Now, that's cool, by the way, to me, because the learning comes back to you in prose form. You can just get it and you read it. And the analysis is right there for you. It takes seconds. But the best thing is you can refine that learning in a few more seconds. Say, oh, no, 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 no. I want it, um, this, this, the uh, total, you know, the conclusions you've made about Shakespeare's The Tempest, but now I want it in the voice of a seventh grader. Well, guess what? It'll do that in seconds. Okay, now I want to form a business plan based on the logic found in Shakespeare's The Tempest. And it'll do that in seconds. And then you can refine it and refine it to your heart's content. And to conclude, in addition to not just being a browser, going out there and finding stuff, it learns. That's cool. Then it serves up prose. That's cool. But here's the coolest thing. It remembers. So if you want to go out and um, you know look for other stuff and come back, all of that learning, all of the learning that ChatGPT did for you is actually re- retained and remembered by ChatGPT so you can come back and refine it further. So it's an infinitely long memory. It's a pretty cool thing. The big concern that I, you know, as far as when I have a conversation that comes up with most people and we talk AI and they've heard about some of the things and we're going to use some examples of things you can actually do with the chat bot. But the number one thing, Paul, that comes up that I often hear is the computers are going to take over and they will eliminate my job. When is that going to happen? And Paul, you and I know it's not quite that simple. In fact, I could make a good case that AI will actually create more jobs long-term than it destroys. Let's just talk about that a little bit. I mean, first off, technological advances almost always impact the workplace. And we've seen it for years. The factory workers, they've been living with the threat of AI and automation displacing positions with robots and new machines on on factory floors. 
by the way, that's on the hardware side. Now, I think the the thing that's been concerning a lot of folks is now we're seeing white-collar workers being impacted by AI innovations with them on the software side, the so-called new industrial revolution. We've talked about the cool things that generative AI can do in the past. I mean, it can as simple, you were just kind of touching on it. It can finish your thoughts with autocomplete sentences, organize your daily schedule, write things for you, consolidate big data sets. You know, a lot of people are concerned about it. It's just the computer's going to take over and I'm going to lose my job. It's not quite like that. I just want you to pick up there, Paul. Yeah, sure. No, there's, there's, first of all, okay, let's just think about for one second, just to put it in perspective, personal computing, right? Well, guess what went away? The stenography pool, right? Those, re, those, those armies, those battalions of people, mostly women at the time, back in the 40s and 50s, who would type up uh, whatever their bosses told them to type up, right? Well, now the boss is the one doing the typing. Right. In many cases, because the computer, the personal computer, the, the laptop, even the smartphone are capable of doing that, even voice recognition. So did the stenography pool go away? Yeah. So a whole bunch of people who were only good at typing went away. But here's the thing about AI and jobs. If you are good at something, if you have an education or a background or experience, an expertise in something, what AI is doing is it absolutely is altering your job, but in ways that in some ways are very positive. Example, a, a paralegal who, and look, by the way, I speak with experience. My very first professional job was to go down to the basement of a large um, law firm in Washington, D.C. called Wilmer Cutler and Pickering. It's no longer called that. Lloyd Cutler was Jimmy Carter's you know, chief, uh, chief counsel, right? But I went to work at the summer internship as a paralegal, and what I was told to do was say goodbye to the sun and go down to the basement and start looking for all documents that had the word whatever in it, right? And so I spent hours and hours and hours doing that. Now, did I get paid? Sure. That was a job, and it was gainful employment, and I got lots of experience. Yay, right? However, um, ChatGPT, as an example, would make paralegal jobs like that not disappear, but maybe be supervised by people who can spend so much less time doing that research. So I guess what I'm saying is for those who have jobs, who have a, a significant expertise in something, um, something that's not necessarily mechanical, to your point, like not necessarily car uh, electronics yet, but we'll talk about that in a second. Guess what? They just saved hours and hours and hours of drudgery and time with research they can now do in seconds. And those, that research, again, doesn't come back in the form of links to other information. It comes back in summaries, in prose, in any form you want it to. So what does it do to my job? Actually, it makes me more of an editor than a writer, to use a metaphor, basically meaning instead of creating the content, I'm now overseeing the creation of the content. Has my job changed? Yes. Are there people whose jobs are in trouble because of this? Sure. Just as there were when PCs showed up and the stenography pool went away. But what if anybody has expertise in a, in a subject? Now ChatGPT is their unbelievably powerful assistant. Now, this is our one caveat. Every assistant human or chat or neural, neural network or whatever, is not infallible. Meaning, just because you tell the amazingly powerful assistant to go out there and write you up a business plan in two seconds that includes the following 17 items, blah, 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 guess what? They might come back with some incorrect information. There is an ex a very clear, famous now, or infamous example, of an attorney getting in big trouble yeah. because he wanted to help his client um, by showing that there was precedent for the kind of suit that the client was bringing. 
Well, the problem is that ChatGPT brought them back precedent that didn't exist. Hallucinations, by the way, is what they're called. This this faked when hallucinations is basically when the AI makes stuff up. Go ahead, Paul. Exactly right. No, no, you're exactly right. And by the way, speaking of hallucinations, I mean, by the way, we'll get back to that term in one second. But just as an example, you and I have talked about this before. I looked myself up and I can read from that very same chat GPT uh, you know, the the, the, the the database that you and I have talked about, but apparently I'm looking at this. Paul Hockman has won several awards for his work, including three Emmy awards. Um, that'd be nice, <laughs> but it's not true. If we're true. Um, have, <laughs> if it were only true. I've won some awards. I'm proud of them, but I have not won any Emmys. And apparently there's a Paul Hockman out there who's won an Oscar for sound design. Okay. I have not won an Oscar either. Again, I'd be delighted. But the point is that ChatGPT, though powerful and though it does all this analysis for you, is capable of making mistakes. You call them hallucinations. Here's the one thing I want to say about that. Hallucinations are attributed to – it's anthropomorphic. In other words, you apply it to a human being, right? That's the kind of thing that happens to a human. They hallucinate, and for all we know, animals too. But at any rate, the point is that human beings hallucinate. So the, the, the only mistake you can make as a newbie to this thing, to this – open AI world, is to assume you're talking to a human, because this is not a human. It doesn't, quote, hallucinate insofar as it has visions or something. What it does is it makes mistakes, or it, it incorrectly matches data sets and says, I'm going to make a conclusion about this data set that is incorrect or based on faulty findings. So my point is, don't think of it as infallible. Never think of it as infallible. And don't think it's going to take your job. Think it's going to make your job easier for the most part. That would be the conclusion I'd make. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, those the judge took those attorneys to task because they just blindly followed AI. And they're like, well, we didn't know. Well, you know, <laughs> you should have before you start bringing that to the table. Right, right. Can I just say that about that? That's a very good point. And I think, is the judge right? Sure. Um, but – this is the thing. What we're doing is we're leaning on a crutch here for using OpenAI for sourcing, uh, say, legal precedent, right? But it's not – you're not bonkers to, to go you're – not, you're not irresponsible necessarily. The judge certainly would not have agreed with me. But I don't think you're irresponsible to look at every possible research um, tool at your disposal to try and make your argument good or to try and make your business plan effective or whatever you're doing with ChatGPT. However – um, the, and it's, I'm going to use a legal metaphor. The jury is out, shall we say, on whether or not that really is an ethical lapse. In other words, if somebody's just trying to get some information and find precedent, well, that's not the wrong thing to do. That's the right thing to do if you're an attorney. The problem is it wasn't checked. It wasn't backed up. In other words, that attorney got in trouble, not because the attorney used ChatGPT, but because they didn't go double check. Absolutely tempting to try and just use ChatGPT for that tool. We're taking a role as an editor, and as an editor, you have to double check things like that. So that's that's an important part that you you kind of talked about at the beginning of this conversation. Now we have the chat bot right in front of us. Both of us have uh, yep. ChatGPT opened, and hopefully you've signed up and you have it opened as well. Yep, I'm and looking at it right now. The Example that I wanted to use now, because we're you know we wanted to talk jobs and, and the impact, and we we kind of discussed that a little bit. But um, you know, as as I have the chat bot open, you know, you can have it write poems, short stories, books, even entire screenplays, and mm -hmm. we've all heard about the Hollywood strike, and yes. this 
the Hollywood strike has brought AI front and center in the discussion. And so I thought we could use that as an example because, you know, some of these Hollywood writers are concerned that a so-called editor will sit in a room with a bunch of computers and create sitcoms. And, and people are like, how could that be possible? Well, we're going to show you right now. Um, Paul, kind of take the lead with this. Let's use chat GPT to maybe write a movie or a TV show. Uh, but you know, we could we could pick some show in the past. And, well, I and, just, actually yeah, just did something ahead. that's even more exciting, which is I said, um, hey, chat GPT, write a haiku about radio producer Andy Gersher. And here it is. And and by the way, haikus are, you know, structural. They have to have seven, nine, and then seven syllables and so forth. And here it is. Andy, comma, waves of sound, comma, next line. Radio tales, he does weave, comma, producer profound, period. There you go. All right. So I just wrote a haiku, which, by the way, complied with those rules about syllables and lines and all that stuff about you. And that's all I did. I said, write a haiku about radio producer Andy Gershwin. So could we write a t- could we write a, a TV show? Absolutely. Here's the thing. You back to your editing point. My editing point. Cannabis is not. I don't know if you like that haiku or not. I mean, I think it's fine. But the point in, that I'm making about editing is that was amazing. That back came this haiku in two seconds, right? About you. What what I have to then do though is take a look at it and assess. Is that okay? Is that good? So, I mean, I, I was um, there's a friend of mine who's starting a company. It's actually quite exciting, and he asked ChatGPT to make a business plan, and then we'll get to the Hollywood writers' strike in two seconds. But the business plan came back. It was a 72-page business plan, and it, which is way too long. And it's, you know, investors wouldn't get through page three, right? So he looked at it. and was like, oh my god, that was actually worse than it was a great business plan. If you're into 72-page business plans. So back to Hollywood writer strike. Everybody's worried. I'm, you know, I'm a member of the union, the Screen Actors Guild, um, you know, and TV and radio artists, and, and I'm because of the voiceover work I've done and stuff. And so I'm, I guess, I'm officially on strike. Well, guess what? You know, the reason I'm on strike and the reason that folks are in fact striking is because lots of executives at movie studios are saying, "Why do we need writers? Well, the writers' room can be a laptop. We can direct it to." Refine and refine and refine with those prompts, you, you correctly call them. Refine scene one with you know, characters who have this, that, or the other attribute. Here's my takeaway on all that. That is, it's not there yet, but the strike in this case happens to be, I think, pretty well-timed because that is exactly where it's headed. And it's not limited to prose. And it's not limited to stories and movies and scripts. There are images, as you and we could talk about, but images are created by by generative AI image making machines, uh, and there there are many of them. Um, one called Midjourney, as an example, and they are creating images of stars, current existing movie stars. In some cases, stars who are no longer alive, as in the case of Star Wars, where they took an actor who was no longer alive, and they put him, that actor, in a more re- in a scene ten years after he died. And that is scary to an actor who – not post-death, obviously, but if an actor is thinking, hey, I can show up once for a shoot, have them capture my image, and then for the rest of time, if they don't feel like paying me and there's no contract, they could remake me all they want for free for the rest of time. And my job as an actor once is now over, but my career goes on without paying me. That is the worry of the existing writer strike and the existing um, director strike. Another example that comes to mind is uh, 
something that I just recently saw, and it's this. Speaks to what you're talking about. This is. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic. It's fantastic. You can brush my hair. Undress me everywhere. <laughs> it, oh, come on, Barbie. Let's go party. Because I'm in a Barbie world. All right. That's wow. Johnny Cash singing Johnny Barbie Cash. Girl. That's created yeah. by AI. Johnny Cash never yeah. said or sang no, Barbie Girl. Way, go ahead, go ahead. And, and Johnny Cash, no, you're 100% correct. I'm so glad you found that clip. Johnny Cash's estate will have something to say about that, right? Because, and by, by the way, I don't know that they'll win. Because if Johnny Cash's estate has to now prove that that is not a completely brand new creation, that song you just heard, rather it's theft. That's what they're going to try and say, that you've stolen the intonation, the unique sound of Johnny Cash, and you've adapted it for commercial use without our permission. And the jury, literally back to that point, is out, meaning there is not any case precedent yet. I mean, nothing. It'll go to the Supreme Court, I guarantee you. But intellectual property, um, ownership of copyright. I mean, all these things are in play right now. So if you're talking about jobs that are threatened, I think you're absolutely right. Singers, actors, directors, anybody in the creative field is absolutely in deep peril if whatever powers that be, and I include the Supreme Court and other judging groups, right? Um, if the Supreme Court decides that too bad, artist, that material out there that you created is effectively, it can be, it is not, you cannot be taken and reused as it is. But it can certainly, the judges might decide, it can certainly be adapted. Now, there are a gazillion examples in modern culture, American and North American culture easily, and as well as many other cultures, a gazillion examples of artists who have been, quote, and I quote, inspired by another artist and have created what some call derivative works and other people call original works. So how are you going to decide? I mean, to me, it's pretty easy if Johnny Cash is singing Barbie Girl, that that is not the original intent of the artist because the artist doesn't, is not, does not exist. He's, he's no longer alive. Um, but boy, I mean, talk about a can of worms from a, from a, a, you know, a, a legislative and, and law perspective. Who owns what? That is scary. So if your product, your creative product is your living, and theoretically a machine can take what you did and make an infinite number of variations of what you just did, like we just heard with Johnny Cash, well, guess what? That doesn't, at least on the surface of it for me, speaking only for myself, that doesn't sound right to me. That does not sound fair to me. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of people who took mid-journey, that, that image-based AI or image-generating AI machine I told you about earlier. There are hundreds of examples of people who've gone and said, make an image of my wife, here's a picture, uh, using the style of Picasso. Well, guess what? That's an easy one to, to have them sue you because Picasso's estate has lots of money to, take, to get lawyers and go sue you. But here's the problem. If you're not Picasso and you're not famous and you don't have a gazillion bucks and somebody adapts the work you did using, uh, using AI and sells it for lots of money, who's, who gets the income? Or should the artist, the original artist, whose work and look and feel, which is unique, as you know, Picasso is not duplicated, nor is Mark Rothko, nor is you know, any other great famous artist, well, you know, or Keith Haring for that matter. These are all well-known artists, but guess what? You could adapt it easily with ChatGPT, pardon me, not with, with uh, AI, and you could adapt it to your own ends, 
sell it for lots of money. And theoretically, you could be scot-free. You could make all the money yourself, even though you use the artist's image. So it's very complicated. Another example, and, and since we have our chat bot open, I was thinking, what I, I'm going to type in right now, write the next episode of Friends. And then I hit regenerate, take a little click there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sure enough, title, the one with the reunion redux. All right, we're going to see what ChatGPT spit out there. But, hey, first, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Back with Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show in Cambridge. Okay, let's see what ChatGPT wrote as far as the next episode of Friends. And the gang is sitting around the couch, sipping coffee and catching up. Ross, excitedly. Guys, you won't believe what I found in the museum archives. It's the old time capsule we made back in high school. Monica amused. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. And it's writing a whole script of the next episode of Friends. And you know the thing now, by the way, it it delivered it to you right now. By the way, interesting enough, I put in write the next episode of Friends in my uh, send a message, basically prompt box. And it came back with, I'm sorry, I can't write verbatim excerpts from copyrighted texts or create new episodes of copyrighted TV shows like Friends. How about I provide you with a brief summary or a general idea for a new episode instead? Um, and I can then, by the way, I don't know why it was different. Maybe my prompt was slightly different than yours. And I could say, um, yes, please. And I'm just typing in now. Yes, please uh, um, create a um, a general idea. I'm just typing it in uh, for a new Friends episode. And let's see what it says. And this is in real time, so. I'm just typing yeah. with one hand mm-hmm. while I hold the phone. Here we go. Uh, here we go. Boom. T- 
title, one with the virtual reunion. Is that what you just had? Mine's different. I'll hit regenerate because you, I mean, yeah. it can just pump out one after another. I'm going to hit regenerate oh, yeah. and get a new one. Mine, mine says, yeah. exactly. Mine says interior, Central Perk Day. The gang is hanging out at Central Perk, reminiscing about old times and catching up on their lives. Ross excitedly announces that the museum where he works is hosting a virtual reality exhibit showcasing various historical eras. Chandler, always the skeptic, questions the appeal of virtual reality. And uh, by the way, here's the whole script. <laughs> and then again, you so, can hit regenerate another script. Mine was yeah. the one with the ultimate challenge. And it's it's another script of an episode of Friends. And then, the you way, know, I just did the same thing. And now I got the one with the tech trouble <laughs> and setting Central Perk in Monica's apartment. So in other words, we, to your point, we could keep hitting regenerate and we could keep generating ideas. Now, this is this is hilarious and dark and wonderful and bad and all that wrapped up into one. Here's why to me. Speaking as somebody who used to write for a living, I'm uh, we're not there yet because most of and I've tried this with my, by the way, now rising 10th grader. OK, and we did. I said, look, dude, you know, this is you know, this is happening. So let's let's learn about it. Let's not sort of make it the forbidden fruit. Let's learn about ChatGPT as it pertains to your school assignment today. So this is last uh, spring. But we looked at a I, I used the, the you know, the idea of the Tempest to shape here's the Tempest before. And that's because he was working on it. And I said, let's do it. So write a synopsis of The Tempest using um, Prospero, three quotes from Prospero, who's one of the main characters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And out came, and I said, do it in the voice of a, of, a, of a ninth grader. And out came that essay. Now, here's the thing. First of all, shocking, terrible, wonderful, all good. Saved him. I don't know. He didn't have to think. He pressed return on regener- or regenerate, and out came this awesome essay. Great. Except for it wasn't an awesome essay, Andy. It was a terrible essay. I used to teach English. I actually studied Shakespeare in grad school, Okay. And I can tell you right now, it was pablum. It was junk. It was venal, dumb, you know, forgive me, but crap, okay? And I can tell you that because I have experience in that field. So the temptation on the part of all of us is to say, aha, genius, I can get a summary of an episode of Friends. Yeah, but guess what? Unless you really know how to write for TV, and there are many people who don't, you're going to look at it and go, ta-da, my job's done. It isn't done. What you got was a running start. Now, that running start, you're going to have to be the judge. Did that running start take you five feet past the start line or five miles past the start line? You don't know unless you know. So I I, I would guess in the foreseeable future, meaning 12 months to three years, we're going to see stuff that is absolutely indistinguishable from human-generated content. Right now, I would warn anybody who's listening that if you think this is replacing your job, it's not. What it's doing is it's changing your job. You're going to have to assess the quality of the thing that comes back. You just don't have to spend as much time starting. That's the huge difference. Going back to being the editor. Now, I did as an experiment just to see how good Chat GPT is. And what I did was I, you know, I work in the WBBM newsroom. In our computer system, we have background copy for all the stories that we get from ver- various sources. And, you know, it's it's a copy from AP, it's from websites, and then our writers write off of that. Now, as mm-hmm. an experiment, now we didn't do this, I didn't put this on air or anything. I did this as an experiment. I went through our newscast and took the copy that uh, was available to the writers i put it in uh, and i i did this i typed in in the chat bot and i can do it right now i would i did a uh i typed in write a 30 word 
radio broadcast news story about this. And then I did a space and a line, and then I dropped the copy in. And I got to tell you, Paul, that thing spit out a 30-word news story. And it was, in most cases, right on point. Something that we would actually read on air. And when I saw it, I was just going to say, when I saw that, that's why I know the 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 Hollywood writers ha- have a bit of a concern here. So uh, yeah, go ahead, go you, ahead. You put, you put your finger on this really, really important. And and this is okay. Most people think of Chat GPT and AI, generally speaking, as this monolith, as a thing, but it's not. It's a living beast. I I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. Meaning that, as an example, if I had put in write a thirty word radio, uh, radio broadcast news story about whatever the subject you just put in was. I wouldn't even get the same feedback. In other words, if I'm browsing using Google for links, that's the old, the old days last week, right? I would get pretty much the same links, assuming the prompts are the same, because the search that Google is doing is, is essentially a, it's a linear search. It's going from you out into the World Wide Web to find as much stuff as it can. It's a finite amount of stuff on the World Wide Web. Even though it's growing every day, there is a, there's a limit. There's an edge of that universe. With ChatGPT, you're going out, and the thing is thinking. Which for, that's why they call it a neural network. And learning. So the learning you go grab at, when you put in that prompt, write a 30-word radio broadcast, that learning might be slightly different because in other places on the web, the learning is slightly different. And the conclusions, therefore, are slightly different. So on the one hand, your your producers are gonna if their only job is going to be you know is is uh, creating thirty word summaries, their job's in peril, okay? But if their job is assessing the knowledge that comes back, their job is not in peril. In fact, they're even more important because they've got to dis- they've got to discern between junky information and good information. So that's the point. This is a moving target. ChatGPT is going out, and just like you said, it's going out and creating this 30-word summary. Is it pretty good? And you are obviously an extremely experienced elite-level producer of radio and news radio. There are very few people in the country, let alone the world, Andy, who have your knowledge. But your assessment of that 30-word piece is probably valid because you have all that experience. My assessment would be, I may, it looks pretty good. But I wouldn't know because I don't have the same information you do. That is the, that's the, that squishy moving target problem we got here with, with AI is that it's learning constantly. Therefore, it's changing constantly. Therefore, what comes back, even if the prompts are the same, is going to be different. The only way to assess quality is to have a good editor at the other end of this. That's you and me, one way or the other. And it goes back to this being such a valuable tool. I'll give you an, a, oh another example. I'm using chat GPT firsthand. And we're putting together a panel discussion on hazing. We're going to be doing a Zoom call in, a, in, in a, sometime probably next week. I am now using ChatGPT as a tool here. Help me find guests who would be a good fit for this. Now, yeah. granted, I have to go make the call to these individuals and, and vet them and, you know, feel them out when I'm on the phone. You know, I'm getting them on the phone or emailing them and then having a discussion with them. But this is it makes me way more effective because I'm having conversations with ChatGPT, you know, who's been on other panels, all kinds of details of who would be a good fit. But 
I still have to be the editor. But it's amazing. It saves me a ton of time as far as going out and, and doing it the old-fashioned way, which would be the Google search engine. Um, Absolutely, it makes you it makes you a and, and, and you know for, for for lack of a less trite phrase, it makes you a better you, right? It makes you and your skill set enhanced because of the efficiency you just mentioned. Instead of spending hours, maybe even days, chasing down dead ends on who may or may not be good a, a good person on a panel, you now have say thirty. I'm just making it up, but thirty, forty people to look at instead of the infinite number of possibilities. Exactly. 30 or 40 means your hour can be spent calling 30 or 40 people instead of trying to figure out which the 30 or 40 people are. That's really important. I I mean, but I want to go back to, first of all, that's huge. But I want to go back to one thing just to mention, because we're talking about a lot of um, what amounts to sort of humanities type searching. You know, when I say humanities, I mean like, you know, Shakespeare or uh, people who, you know, whatever it may be, people who have been on panels or expertise, all that stuff. But it's not limited to that kind of thing. This, that's what's so scary and cool about this, is it's also engineering. If you have an engineering challenge or a coding challenge, okay, and you're saying, oh, my gosh, this line of code is just – or this series of lines of code is not yielding the outcome I want, you could put those lines of code in here and get HTML improvements back. You could also say, I have a rocket ship, and I need this uh, O-ring that needs to be improved, needs to be lighter, and I'm using this material. What kind of recommendations would you make? Well, back come those recommendations. So my point is – it's just a thing, as, you, as, as anybody who's listening to this is thinking about the broad picture here, they should not just think it's going to write you, you know, business plans and haikus and, and episodes of Friends. That's cool. But it could also alter, and this is where the danger could come in, Andy, seriously, I, I'm, I'm not an alarmist, but I can tell you I'm a little alarmed, is if you want to create for nefarious purposes, okay, you want to create codes, lines of code, excuse me, that shut down, uh, say, an electrical grid, you could do it or you could try. Are there defenses in place out there in the world for the people like us that are thinking of these bad things? Sure. But I don't know that they're perfect. And I do know that if I click regenerate, 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 that I'm also going to get more and more and more improved stuff if I keep improving the prompts. All I'm saying is the scary part to me is not the job loss. It's the seeming humanity of the response to a request that could be evil. So if somebody's trying to achieve a bad end, they could theoretically get lots of help and become much more efficient at, at achieving their bad end by using this tool. So that's the scary side of this to me. And we've covered a lot of ground across a lot of areas, but I think the key here is the most important part of all of this, and I think people who are listening to this podcast right now, is don't put your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Play with this. Look at how it can make you more effective at the job that you're already doing. You mentioned uh, make me a better me. And, um, yeah, I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, so back to that example of me and my 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 now 15-year-old son, you know, checking out what could we do for to write an essay for his English class, which obviously was cheating. I mean, we, and we, I was sitting there with him and say, okay, now we're going to intentionally cheat. My point is, you should intentionally cheat if your intention is not to cheat. <laughs> In other words, right. you should go try this out. You should absolutely, I agree with you 100%. To make you a better you, don't just hope things will be working out for your, or for your job. Don't just be hoping that your efficiency and expertise and whatever it is is enough to keep your job. Go check it out. So, yes, go, right, go, to, the, go to the URL that you, 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 we started with today to, that, you know, to chat 
to the chat to the open AI basically. Go try it out. Take it out for a spin. Find you know, by the way, query yourself. Find out what you are on the web. See if it's accurate. Regenerative, say, hey, you know what? I didn't win three Emmy Awards. Go and then see what happens. Learn about its strengths, learn about its its weaknesses, learn about how it can be used for good, how it could be used for not so good. And then you're going to be armed with what to do next when your job description either changes or is updated or is affected at very, at very least by this. And then you'll be ready. I couldn't agree more. Do not put your head in the sand. Start this engine up for yourself and go play with it. Go take it out for a spin and see what happens. And then you'll be ready for whatever happens next. Big thanks to Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We are back next Wednesday, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast, powered by Odyssey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.